0: Letting that humanity and emotion and vulnerability show, as long as it is real, is never going to steer you wrong.
1: That is Holly Allen, and I'm Lee Foster. You're listening to Action, the no-bullshit podcast dedicated to the pursuit of acting excellence. Holly is a professional actor, acting teacher, and freelance casting director. She has seen exactly what works and what doesn't after directing thousands of auditions over the past 18 years. Enjoy this episode.
0: Holly Allen, who are you? Hi, Lee Foster. (laughs) Thanks for having me on your show. Uh I work as a casting director on a freelance basis. I'm an actor and I'm an acting teacher, and that's how I've made my living for the past 20 years. I moved to Chicago about five years ago. I was the in-house casting director for a production company in Nashville, Tennessee for 13 years, where I cast about 150 spots for the military. We had a large contract with the government. And I uh, I could only use an actor once in five years. And so, as you can imagine, the, pool, the talent pool in the Southeast is not huge. So I started casting in Chicago in 2001 and I would come up here five times a year and hold casting sessions because it was an easy plane flight. It was an hour plane flight in the same time zone and Chicago has a huge pool of talented actors. So that's what I did when I lived in Nashville and then cast some independent feature films. And since I've been in Chicago, I freelance a lot at PR casting downtown And then I also have a background in acting, um, and I've been teaching acting since grad school in 1997.
1: So you started out in acting and then you went into casting and what, what did you, what were like the big takeaways when you first started casting?
0: Well, it's such a huge education that you get, yeah. which is why I recommend that if you are a new to acting or maybe you have graduated from a theater program and you're in Chicago that you try to intern for one of the casting companies because it is such a huge education and it really demystifies the casting process. Mm -hmm. You learn how subjective it is. Mm -hmm. You learn the etiquette of auditioning, what works, what doesn't. You learn how taking a bit of a risk and coming into the room with your own creative ideas Helps you get a call back. You learn, obviously, what not to do or not how to behave. And it, it's just like a, it, you are observing actors all day long in a casting room. And it's just such a huge education. It's like, it's like being in a class.
1: So what did you see that worked? What didn't work? You know, What were the lessons that you learned from that?
0: Well, you, I mean, there's a lot of things. Obviously, be as prepared as you possibly can. But not so prepared that you can't make an adjustment when given direction. I see that a lot where actors come in and they are totally off book and they are prepared, absolutely. But then when you give them a piece of direction, they don't know how to take it. Mm-hmm. Their brain is so trained to do it this one way, with these one with this one way of inflections, intention, that you throw them a piece of direction, and they, fall apart or they lose their line. So it it is, yes, absolutely being prepared, but also rehearse it in several different ways so that you can take direction in the room and be Mm -hmm. flexible. That's part of what happens also in a callback. The director wants to trust you that you can take direction. And Mm -hmm. so they will always give you, well, almost always, almost always if the director is in a room at a callback, which is usual that they will give you a piece of direction just to see if you can take it. Right. Even if they like
1: the first take, they'll give you direction just to see if you can do it.
0: Nine times out of ten.
1: Right. So this is a question that I am embarrassed that I don't know the answer to, but who makes the decision on the callbacks? Is it the casting director or is it the director, production, blah, blah, blah?
0: No, the casting director doesn't make the decision unless it is... Listen, there's an exception to every single rule, and it depends on the project. It depends if we're talking about an independent film or a commercial or what it is, who the actual decision maker is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Sometimes, if it let's say it's, um, it's a, a TV show or an independent film, and the casting director has a really tight relationship with the director or a producer, and it's like a little one-liner, something Mm -hmm. sometimes they'll let the casting director make a decision based on their work together and trusting the person and because the director sometimes doesn't have time to deal with those little roles that that's sort of the exception to the rule though Mm -hmm. really it's going to be the director and the producer and sometimes a committee of people
1: yeah
0: who are who are making the decision
1: right but what about like to bring people back for the callback is that the casting director's decision no
0: again, it depends on what project we're working on. I have done a lot of commercial casting. That's been the majority of my experience. I've cast a a few independent feature films, but the majority of my casting experience has been in the commercial world. And for that, the director, uh, what happened, okay, this is what happens, is we will do two days of casting, let's say, and then we send a link to the decision makers. To the client, to the production company. They make a list of who they want to call back. Now that's not to say that the casting person, let's say somebody that they really like, that, that the casting person really believes in and thinks would be good for the role, doesn't make that callback list. Casting person can absolutely go to bat for that actor mm-hmm. and say, Hey, you know, you should really see this actor. I I I think that given some direction, if you want to, you know, take him or her in a different direction, um, but you should really give the person a callback. So they can do that, mm-hmm. but they're but they're not making the decision. Okay. The client okay. and the director are the ones that will create a callback list and then be there for the callback.
1: So, do all of the auditions that are filmed on the initial audition are all of those sent to the director? All of them, or do you for commercials? Yes. Okay.
0: Unless I mean,
1: unless it just then,
0: sucks. I mean, there has been, that's maybe happened twice. <laughs>
1: okay, okay.
0: It never happens.
1: And so how many, uh, how many people do you generally audition for a commercial, ballpark?
0: My experience when I was an in-house casting director is different than the way that it works in Chicago. Right. So I'll speak to that. It depends on the budget, how many days of casting and how big the project is, mm-hmm. how many days of casting you're going to do. Usually for commercial, it's two days of casting. And we're seeing, I mean, the session usually runs from 10.30 to 5.30 with an hour break. Um, So we're seeing, you know, 60 to 80 people in a day.
1: And then how many people generally are called back?
0: Totally depends on the producer, director, or client and who they want to call back. Um, I mean, a rough ballpark would be 30 people. And then how many people are put on check avail? So they usually will have, this is usually what happens is at the end of the day, director's in the room, director has created piles of headshots and he or she has taken notes on the list of actors that have come in throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, right, they have their no pile, they have their maybe pile and they have their yes pile. So they will go through the yes pile, and usually there's other people in the room because they're having a production meeting, so the producer's there, and so they go through the yes pile, they talk about who they liked, they spread out the pictures on the floor, Mm -hmm. and they start piecing things together based on the criteria that they're looking for. And what eventually happens is the director and producer, usually they have to be in agreement, has a first pick. They have like their, their, their top number one picks and then they have a list of backups in case the client doesn't like their first pick or in case for some reason an actor falls through, they go to their backup choice. Hmm. And depending on the relationship with the client or, or if there's somebody else in the chain of command that they have to pass the actor through, they will sometimes give two or three choices if the director likes all t- the two or three choices and will give the client some control over that choice. Mm-hmm. That happens on occasion, but okay. rarely. Usually okay. the director wants who the director wants.
1: And what is, like the, what is the conversation like in the, in the callback scenario? with the like what's going on when the an actor comes in they do their audition the director gives some direction says thank you the person leaves what does that look like then what happens then when When the
0: actor leaves the room yeah like what's the discussion that happens
1: is there a discussion do they go okay next or do they go like he's good because of this uh he's too tall he's too this he's too this he's too this like what does it look like
0: again it it totally depends. It It is so subjective. It totally depends on the project, on who the director is, on the people in the room, how much discussion happens. The, the, what, what, room, the yeah. rooms that I have been in, there hasn't been a lot of discussion. Usually everybody has a list of the actors and they're taking notes. Okay. And then at the end of the day, they have a discussion about okay. who they liked and who they didn't. Huh. Sometimes there's a couple words said of, oh, he might work, blah, 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 or, oh, uh, that girl that came in earlier would really go with this guy. But it is very brief, partly because of timing, too. Like, we got a lot of people to get through.
1: Right, yeah. So if they're all taking notes, and then they say, these are the people I liked at the end of the day, are they usually in agreement? Are the top picks usually across the board?
0: It depends. Sometimes it goes (laughs) super smoothly, Uh and... They will all be in agreement. There may be um, one or two disagreements, but it's not, it's like easily solved.
1: Okay. When I was doing my uh, interning, I guess you could say when I was sitting in on those auditions in, in Minnesota, I was watching all these guys come in and do the same audition for the same script. And I completely disagreed with the casting director on who was good. Like there was one guy where I was like that guy, like that was great. And the guy walked out of the room and she turned to me and she was like, she was like, I'm not even going to send that. Wow. Yeah.
0: Well that, I mean, you don't know also the conversation that the casting person could have had with the director or the production crew. True, true. Like the casting director may, may know a little bit more about the tone or the vibe or the personality that they're looking for.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: That, 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 may not have fit into and again, it sort of teaches you, right? It teaches you how subjective it is. Right. Because there were actors that came into the room that I thought were brilliant in the initial audition that didn't get a callback. And so what do you learn as an actor from that? You have to just keep showing up and doing what you do to the best of your ability and not taking it personally when you don't get a callback. As long as you keep getting called into those rooms, you're doing something right. Huh. Casting okay. people, the casting people like you. I mean, they're willing to see you. They believe in you. If they keep calling you in.
1: So, what does that look like then? When you have a, you get the breakdown for a commercial, you ask for submissions from the agencies, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And then, what does the conversation look like when you're choosing people to bring in?
0: Sometimes there'll be a discussion. Mm-hmm. About, oh, you should really see this person or, oh, remember that guy that we saw in that play last week? Oh, he'd be perfect for this. Sure, there's discussion like that that happens all the time. Otherwise, it is going off of headshots, what fits the specs, which is why you have to have such a great headshot and multiple headshots that you and your agent are using to market you for particular roles. Wait, what do you mean? Well, like you have a commercial shot. Yeah. And you have a more theatrical shot. Right. But then you have to think about what else you can do so that you're getting a little more specific in your marketing, right? Like, if you have a good athletic look, then you should have a headshot that reflects that. If you can play the comedic, sarcastic best friend, Mm -hmm. then you should have a headshot that reflects that. Because there's hundreds and hundreds, there's thousands of actors in the three big cities. Uh-huh. And so the more specific you can get in your look and the more choices that your agent has to send to casting people uh-huh. in that headshot, like if I'm casting, um, I, in fact there's, there's uh, a guy that has, there's two headshots that I bring in of this one actor to my classes to make this point. And I don't know if the guy is an actual cop or if he borrowed a jacket of a cop, but he has a headshot where he looks like a freaking badass in this police officer jacket. Mm-hmm. And then he's got another headshot where he looks like happy, friendly dad, store mm-hmm. owner guy. And if you look at his resume, 90% of what's on there is authority roles mm-hmm. police officer, police officer, bouncer, security guard right? Like he's marketing himself in a very specific way. And if I'm casting that kind of role, there's no way I'm going to pass over that guy's headshot.
1: But my agents are submitting me through casting networks or yes. Actors Access. So are they picking the, the headshot that's going to yeah, go with that submission? Yeah, they should
0: be. Yes. Right? Like if it's an industrial or, or, or a doctor or anything white collar and you have a headshot in a business suit, that's the headshot hopefully they're sending. Right. That makes you look like an expert.
1: Huh, I did not know that. Let's take a break from the casting. Okay. And let's talk about some of your teachings, right? So you you were telling me about um, beginners. What do you? I love. Okay, okay, go on. I'm listening.
0: I love beginners. I love beginners. First of all, I, I'm a person that that I think is easily moved by people's stories, and so when I say beginners, I'm really talking about I mean, not only young people, but really about adults that come to my class that are in their 30s or 40s and they've lived, or 50s or 60s, and they've lived a life already. They've raised their, I have women who come in that maybe did a couple plays in high school and remember loving it. And then they got married and raised a family and got a different job and their kids are old enough now that they want to start doing something for themselves. And so they show up in my class. And that is freaking inspiring to me. Or somebody that has been a lawyer or an accountant or chosen some other profession, and here they are in their 40s, and they show up in an acting class because it's something they think might bring them happiness. And that... I'm inspired by that. So they've already won when they come in the door to me. There is sort of an openness and joy about a beginner that I feel like people that have been in the business for a long, long time sometimes forget. So I have a saying that it's great to have the wisdom of an expert and the joy of a beginner, that you don't forget that joy of what it's like to begin something that you don't know anything about, but there's something in your heart and soul that wants to express itself and that's what I see in them when they come into class are people who are longing for a way to express themselves and who knows if they'll be successful or not or if it just becomes a hobby or if it uh, becomes a way for them just to uh, escape once a week or to have fun or to do something for themselves or if it turns into something that they can actually make money on Mm -hmm. but who cares here they are and they're willing to open up their minds and their hearts in order to express themselves. Mm -hmm. It's another reason, uh, I mean, I also love introverts. (laughs) I feel like introverts are often the best actors. Really? Because they are so used to taking life in. They are so used to observing life. And it's not that they don't have tons of feelings and thoughts, but they don't have an avenue of expression. They don't feel comfortable necessarily being really gregarious and expressive in their real life. And so acting gives them words. It gives them a way to express everything that they're thinking and feeling. And because they're, they've are they spent so much time listening in, yeah. in a listening role in their real life right. and in an observation role, they have a lot of rich material yeah. to bring to the script.
1: Yeah. Um, I had a neighbor in, when I was in Minneapolis, and I was, we basically kind of started acting at the same time, and we were in an acting class together, and this was a lovely human being, and she was the most gregarious person ever. I mean, she was just on at all times, super energetic, super excited about everything, And uh, didn't give a shit about what anybody thought, right? She was just what she wanted to be and that was it. But what I realized is that when we got into acting class, we were actually doing like Meisner stuff. Mm -hmm. She literally didn't have the ability to listen to somebody and understand what they were saying by just listening. She just couldn't do it. It it was not part of her skill. She did did not have that skill. She was so used to just like being her and nothing mattered and it was great, but she literally didn't know how to listen to somebody. Wow. And it made me realize how important the ability to listen to people actually is.
0: It is everything. Yeah. If you want to be a skilled actor, yeah. listening is everything. Yeah. Like you think about a scene and how, how the reaction shot, you don't even have any lines, but the reaction shot is what the scene ends on. And if you're not there, if you're not listening, if we don't see that thought and those feelings in your eyes on camera, then it's just not believable. Like nobody's gonna buy it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Listening is absolutely everything. I will even tell my students, make the other person's lines more important than your own. Because what that does is it forces them to listen. I got into trouble though recently because I said that to an actor in class. And what happened then was she was just saying her lines really fast with no emotion. Mm -hmm. I mean, with no intention behind Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you said to make the other person's lines more important than mine. And I was like, oh, that's not to say that your lines are not important. (laughs) Yeah, right. It's a technique to really listen to your scene partner. Because if you're fully listening, you have to absorb it. And if you're absorbing it, we see the wheels turning in your mind. It is that moment of absorption because the audience is absorbing it with you. We're watching you, and we know that if you don't absorb that line, something feels dishonest to us, which is why it's so important to go to class.
1: Yeah, I am a huge uh, proponent of training.
0: You have to do it.
1: It's kind of like some people just decide they want to be an actor, and then they're an actor, and it's not mm. quite that easy. It's it's sort of like when somebody says, uh, if somebody were to say to you, yeah, I'm a doctor now, and you're like... <laughs> You are? You went to school? And you, no. No, no. I didn't I'm, just, I'm just a doctor now. I, w-
0: I wear this stethoscope and this lab coat and that makes me
1: Yeah. It's like, it's not quite that easy. I mean, this shit is challenging. It's
0: Right. I, I compare skills. it to, to the other arts. Like you, you don't just pick up a guitar and play like Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Who does that? Yeah. You have to you have to study for years yeah. before you get any good at it. Right. And it's never really done either. That's what's so wonderful and exciting about any art form and studying it is that there's always something else. There's mm-hmm. always something more to mm-hmm. learn mm-hmm. if you're open to it. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you don't become there are plenty of actors that have been in the business a long, long time. They think they know everything. And you and I think think those actors sometimes lose some joy or that it becomes just like a job to them or they don't know how to do anything else or I'm just going to keep doing this thing. And maybe they should go to class too just to sort of like be around people who are in the beginning stages of their career so they remember what it's like, that you can still find ways to bring joy to your work, that is it fun? And I'll tell my students that and, and for me too, is this fun? And, and as long as it's fun, keep doing it. But it, if it ever becomes not fun, go do something else for a while. Mm-hmm. Acting will always be here. Go climb a mountain. Go travel. Do something that brings back that spirit of play and joy, which is the reason we get into this to begin with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's talk about meditation. Because I know you're a big fan of meditation. I'm a big fan of meditation. And... There's been scientific studies that it actually proves that it helps reduce stress. Mm -hmm. So tell me, (laughs) now I'm the interviewer, tell me what, like, can can you articulate what it is about meditation or the process of it that translates to less stress in the lobby of the audition room?
1: What meditation does for me, and I don't know if this is the same for everybody who meditates, but what it does for me is it puts me in the habit of checking in with myself constantly throughout the day. Mm -hmm. People always say like present mindedness. And I think that that's such a loaded term that probably everyone who just heard me say that just checked out. That is what it is. It allows me to be like, I'm here now. I'm here Mm -hmm. now. I'm yes. not thinking about what's going to happen if I, if I don't get a callback, it's fine. If I don't get this job, it's fine. If I, there'll be other jobs, it's okay. It allows me to just like be okay in the present moment and enjoy myself in the present moment at all times. It just makes me um, kind of calmer about everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's not just auditions. It just sort of makes everything okay. Yes. I don't know. That's kind of how it makes me feel. I don't know if that made any sense.
0: Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. And that it really affects your whole life. Absolutely. It it is a way of, like you said, it is a method of self-awareness and checking in with yourself and bringing yourself back to this present moment because we spend so much of our thinking time living in the past or the future. And so it is... Teaches you to bring yourself into the here and now. Mm-hmm. There's there is a method of meditation, and I don't know what you what you practice. You just you concentrate on the breath, and you allow your thoughts to drift in and drift out. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So there there is another, as you, and maybe you've heard of it, but there is another kind of meditation. There's all different kinds, but there's one that I really love as a method of befriending yourself and also teaching you to open your heart more, especially for for thinking actors that need to maybe have more vulnerability or more humanity in their work. And that is called loving kindness Mm -hmm. meditation or meta meditation, um, where you are practicing having compassion and gentleness for your own state where where like whatever state your heart is in that you practice compassion for that and then not only for yourself but compassion for every other person who is going through a similar trial or tribulation or what we call suffering in the meditation community and that is a really wonderful and powerful way i think to deepen your emotional well That you learn to have empathy, not only for yourself, but for other human beings. Um, And as actors, the farther down your career you go and the more that you study and the more that your brain becomes trained as a storyteller, that you really become an expert at empathizing. That there's no way that you can go through your life and not be curious about other people, about human nature, about that you could hear somebody's story and you immediately jump into their skin and feel what that must feel like. And that to me is when you have somewhat arrived in a place where that is where your brain and heart is all the time. And of course you have to, I mean, of course, self-preservation, you can't go around like crying at every sad thing you see. But still you go around the world with an open heart you allow the world to affect you and that's what i'll tell my actors too that that spend a lot of time in their minds that have trouble expressing emotion mm-hmm. is just go through your week this week and allow things to affect you really listen and when you feel like laughing out loud let yourself when you feel like crying let yourself so that you get in the habit of connecting your brain and your heart, and that your body gets used to expressing emotion. Hmm. And then when you're dealing with a character, right, you connect to that emotion, but then you go about your work of covering up that emotion because because that's what we do as human beings.
1: Right. Speak more about that. What? How does someone go about learning how to do that on camera or in an audition situation?
0: Well, when you're working on camera... Part of it is learning to trust yourself, that you're doing enough, because what I see a lot, especially because it's such a big theater town, so I get a lot of theater actors in the on-camera classes that you know want an agent, they want to start working on camera, they have a BA in theater or whatever, um, and they are so used to filling the space, they're mm-hmm. so used to playing in a theater and hitting the back wall mm-hmm. that they come in and they're too big. And and most theater actors know this, right? It's sort of common knowledge of like, oh, I'm working on on camera. I have to be smaller. Mm -hmm. And so then what happens is they overcompensate. They go the other direction. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, I am going to be very small so that I will be believable on camera. And what happens is then they're doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. And so really it is practice of you have to feel the feelings and think the thoughts and just let the camera come to you. If you're feeling the feelings and thinking the thoughts, you don't have to do a whole lot for us to know what's going on behind Mm -hmm. your eyes. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a fine line that you have to ride Mm -hmm. of doing enough and taking a little bit of a risk too. Like like taking a little bit of a risk sometimes is the thing that gets you booked.
1: Right.
0: But uh, letting that humanity and emotion and vulnerability show, as long as it is real, is never going to steer you wrong. So if you let us see that and you're not acting or emoting, but it's actually believable emotion that's coming from your own heart and guts, that's never going to steer you wrong. And all we can say is, I mean, a good, a a good casting person or director, if they feel like it's too much, they can say, um, fight against that feeling. We see you feeling it, but fight against it. Hmm. Like you don't, uh, like it's so much, I, I, I read, uh, Tony Barr has a great book called um, Acting for the Camera, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I use a lot of his techniques in my classes, but one thing he says is that it is so much more interesting to watch somebody fight not to cry than to watch them cry, because yeah. it's so much more interesting to watch, because it's so human, right. that's what we do, like right. all of that emotion lives under the surface, it's like a boiling pot of water, and you keep the lid on it. Yeah. Keep the lid on it. Keep the lid on it. Keep, And then when the boiling water kind of comes out the lid, the audience is right there with you.
1: Right. You uh, you mentioned uh, something that I want to talk about, which is being consistent. Mm-hmm. Going in and being consistent. Talk to me about that. I'm very interested in this.
0: Well, it's how you let casting people get to know who you are. And part of that consistency is being prepared, showing up on time, like just be a professional. And mm-hmm. if you're a professional every single time you show up, that carries a lot of weight. And it can book you work with the same client or same director, right? If if you show up on set, you're booked by somebody and you are uber responsible mm-hmm. and you're there on time, you're super prepared and you're talented and you look good, you're going to consistently work and you're going to work for that client or director again. And again, probably mm-hmm. So part of the consistency is about that, your professionalism. But then also, like if if you're funny, and a lot of uh, producers will come here from New York and L.A. because it's an, because Chicago's well-known as an improv city, mm-hmm. and so they'll come here to shoot funny. And so if you are one of those people that falls in the category of, of funny and has some improv experience then we sort of expect you to come into the room with your own ideas, with your own kind of like take on it. Or we, we expect you, if the spot is funny, we expect you to like add your own little shtick to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the stuff that sets you apart mm-hmm. from everybody else who's just coming in and doing the script. So part of it is figuring out who you are and then showing up as that person every time you come in the room. So, so part of it is about branding. Uh, if you are really great at expert roles, mm-hmm. authority roles, anything in a business suit, a uniform or a lab coat, and you are branded, you you know, you've done your branding. This is a genre that I am excellent at. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to market the shit out of myself in this genre. Then you show up in the room as that every time. Mm-hmm. And that's how the casting people get to know you. And then what's in your wheelhouse, too? What do I feel comfortable playing? Mm -hmm. Like I had a guy in class who, like so sweet and such a big smile and like a bright personality. And he said, oh, I keep getting called in for these hoodlum roles. And as soon as I walk in the room, they tell me that I'm not right. And I said, do you have a headshot that looks like a hoodlum guy? And he was like, yeah. And I said, that's not in your wheelhouse. There's no way you're going to book that role. Because it's just not your essence. It's just not who you are. Mm-hmm. As soon as we see your smile, boom, gone. And it's such a competitive field, as we all know. So the sooner you can figure out, this is the thing that I'm really good at. Here's my wheelhouse. Let's pitch me for these things. Um, that saves everybody some time, I think. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, of course, that you know, ask somebody else and they're going to say, oh, no, go out for every... Go out for every audition. You just keep showing up. Show up, um, and eventually the thing is going to hit. But it's also tough for casting people to know how to file you when you keep coming in for all of these different categories. Right. And we have mental files that you sort of have have to fit in one. In order for you to become, and this really, uh, to me, should be the goal of any actor, is that you, the, the casting people that you get known in your community that the casting people know who you are and that when a role comes up that you are actually right for that you are the one of the ten actors they think of like you want to be on that list right that's yeah. really your goal huh.
1: what what, are, what is like the main thing that people do wrong when they come into audition
0: they are unprepared and they don't listen to direction the, uh, I mean, a pet peeve of mine is, and part of it I understand. Part of it is nerves, but actors that'll come in and they'll do it once, and I'll give some direction. And they go, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, got it, got it, got it, and then they do the exact same performance they just did.
1: But and so don't clearly think they want they, they they don't think they did the same performance, do they?
0: I guess not. I don't know unless they unless it's just that that's the way the way they've practiced it, and so their brain can't do anything else because mm-hmm. they've, they've practiced it to the point where it's just hard for them to take mm-hmm. direction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I do see actors that just simply don't listen. And, and that could be for a variety of reasons. A lot of times it's nerves. Mm-hmm. They, they have so much anxiety that it's just hard for them to take in anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but like simple stuff, especially the, the commercial spots that have a lot of action, you know, we sort of have to choreograph the thing. Um, like, you know, okay, you pick up the box here and then you look over here and then, you know, place the tree over here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then you have actors that just, it's like they haven't heard you at all. Mm. Um, and and following directions is so freaking important, especially for the camera because it's such a technical medium. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to get a particular shot, right? Or I, I need you to do this one thing so that I can come in from a medium shot into a close up. And so, if you don't follow instructions, I'm not, you know, then I got to do the thing over again. Um, yeah. So, like, really listen, and that's why it's so important to be so prepared. That way, when you're thrown anything, especially for the camera, that you know your lines backwards and forwards because, or you're holding your script if you need to, because it's such a technical medium that it's you have to follow instructions to a T, and that it's that it's trusting also. Uh, that we kind of know what we're talking about. I mean, I I say that, but there, you know, I mean, everybody knows that there's been session runners that don't know what they're talking about. Um, um, And I think that you've had examples of of that. So, you know, you just kind of have to go with the flow.
1: Would you say that, uh, let's say it's a director session and you do this, you do your first take and then the director says... Okay, great. I want you to do it. Do it with more pain this time, or something. Whatever. Whatever the direction is. Would you recommend that actors overshoot that? Like you were in a car accident, your knee hurts, and he says, "Okay, do it with more pain." Should you go like as painful as you can be, or should you shoot for? what you think the director is asking for. The reason I'm saying this is because is the director trying to just see if you can take direction and if you go too far, he goes, okay, yeah, I can dial that back, done. But if you don't go far enough, that's going to be an issue. Do you understand what I mean at all?
0: I totally understand what you mean. And in my own experience, that's what I would say. I would say, go for it and let us pull you back. Yeah. Rather than you not doing enough, and now I think, oh, it's like pulling teeth to get this actor to do anything at all. Right. Whereas if you fricking go for it, yeah, we can say okay, okay, okay. You know, dial it back a little bit. Um, yeah. That that's my impulse is to say that. I mean, but again, it's so subjective. You know, if you ask. Uh, you know, somebody else, they might tell you something else Mm -hmm. of like finding that middle ground. Mm -hmm. But if it's something like that and you are in physical pain, you you have to remember, or we have to remember, I should say, that the stories that are being told are extraordinary moments in people's lives. Mm -hmm. It's not every day. Stories are not being written about every day. They're being written about the high, high, highs and the low, low, lows mm-hmm. of people's lives. I mean, we're talking about right television and films here. It's like having access to that, having access to your own emotions and pain and joy and sorrow so that you can tell somebody else's extraordinary story is so necessary. Um, And that's the stuff that drama's made of. That's why we watch television. That's why we go to the movies, is to see how people are going to solve these impossible problems. And so you've gotta be able to be that kind of storyteller. Go for it then, and let them pull you back. You may only get one more shot.
1: To find out more about Holly, go to hollyallenonline.com. And find her on Facebook, at Holly Allen Actor for upcoming workshops, articles, and updates. If you like this podcast, please go to iTunes and give me a rating and review. I'm Lee Foster. Thanks for listening.